Welcome to Zestful Aging. I have a really special guest for you today. I am over the moon to have had the pleasure to interview Sue Kreitzman, the author of 27 cookbooks turned outspoken artist. CNN recently did a mini documentary on her and the major news outlets have all profiled her playful and unconventional art and attitude. I think you'll be captivated by Sue's irreverent style and her comfort with herself. She revels in being an outsider and part of a new wave of artists who don't care if people like their work. Sue splits her time between New York City and London. She has a full window display at the Selfridges department store, the British version of Macy's, which overlooks Regent Street. The display is filled with her art and mirrors the inside of her actual flat. People have been following her around lately, and a day doesn't go by where someone doesn't ask to take a picture of her and her wearable art. A number of things made me really eager to speak with Sue. My mother was a professional artist in New York City as well, and I grew up going, somewhat unwillingly, to countless art museums. As a child, my family went to visit relatives in Germany, but most of my memories of that trip are of museums and the thousands of paintings of Jesus hanging on the cross. Trips to the Guggenheim Museum are emblazoned in my head as well. Its crazy slanted architecture captivated my young mind. A word about the audio. Due to an internet problem, I used a brand new recording device, which I had had very little experience with, and the quality is quite poor. I do think it's well worth the annoyance, but I want to apologize. Sue Kreitzman is exploding onto the outsider art scene and beyond with her wacky world. Those are her words, not mine. <laughs> Television chef turned artist. Sue's fascinated with the female landscape, both the joy and the darkness. Her work is about life, love, death, hormones, and the afterlife. She's obsessed with rebirth, regeneration, reincarnation, both as a metaphor and as reality. Reality as in what the hell happens when the lights go out. She's recently been featured on CNN, the New York Times, and many, many major news outlets. Welcome, Sue. Oh, thank you. Did I really say wacky? I actually don't remember saying that, but... I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I got it off of one of your many, many bios. And the first thing I want to ask you, and I'm sure you've been asked this in different ways, but I'm curious about your use of the term outsider artist scene. Can you talk a little bit about being an outsider? An outsider artist is somebody who is untutored, has never gone to art school, has had no training whatsoever. I refer to outsider art artists, ironically, as the great unwashed. Um, oh. We are 
taught, we are untutored, and we have a compulsive need to make things. And we don't make things for any other reason than we want to make things. It doesn't come from the head. It doesn't come from the heart. It comes from the gut. And most actual outsider artists don't care if you like it or you don't like it. It is there. If you like it, we're delighted. If you don't like it, go away and look at something else. Um, so there's it, a real... Uh, uh, so it, this is about the goal of doing your art. Is that... Did I get that right? Yes, it's about making stuff. Um, and it's about a kind of primal need to make stuff. Uh, and there are lots of people who feel that way. And sometimes artists who have been classically trained and have gone to school, I know quite a few people like this, they just abandon their training, they try to unlearn their training, and they do what, as I said, comes from the gut instead. And I do have lots of friends like that as well. So it's about obsession, it's about compulsion, it's about really not being able to stop. Mm -hmm. And this is the question, is it good? Is it not good? That actually doesn't matter. What matters is it's there, you're doing it, um, you're doing it and it satisfies a deep inner need and that's what's important. So not you're, what the, the process, you're really talking about the process of following your need and, 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 and taking it through the process of actually constructing something. Yes, and it's being, uh, it's, it's a kind of addiction. Um, it's very much therapy and self-medication. And uh, it is, if it happens to you, I think you are a very, very lucky person. It happened to me very unexpectedly, because I was not an artist. I was doing something else entirely. And I have to say, well, I've had a life where many wonderful things have happened to me. But that is probably the most surprising and one of the most wonderful things that ever happened. Could you tell, that was, us, tell the story about the mermaid? That's such a beautiful story. It's a very odd story. It happened in 1998, which is very long ago, but it's etched into my mind. I was always told as a child that I was very, very bad at art. I couldn't do what I was supposed to do in school. I couldn't draw. Um, I broke my crayons. I muttered my, muddied my watercolors. I couldn't even doodle worth a damn. Uh, and my mother was very angry because I was supposed to be wonderful at everything. I was not a bad student, but I always failed art, so I just gave up. I knew that was something I could never do. That was for other people. I was quite musical. I went through college on a music scholarship, so I had other things. But art, no, definitely not. And I did for, <laughs> I had a very interesting life. I fell into the food business way back in the late 60s, and uh, I wrote 27 cookbooks, I cooked on television, traveled all over the world, teaching my way of cooking, and uh, one day I had the proofs of my 27th cookbook, I was at my desk, I had scrap paper, I had uh, markers and highlighters, and I was, it's a wonderful job, because you've already done the work, and you're just going through it for typos, and make sure everything is okay, and it's, it's quite meditative and relaxing. And my hand picked up a marker. It's, I have no idea what happened. Mm -hmm. I threw a mermaid on a piece of paper. And what? What was that? I looked at the mermaid, and the mermaid looked at me. Mm -hmm. It was tribal. 
it was quite primitive, but it was just, it was fantastic. She looked at her, and in a moment, my life changed forever. Mm -hmm. I became an, I stopped cooking, I stopped writing about cooking, I never, ever wrote another cookbook to the great confusion of my agent, <laughs> who thought I had lost my mind, probably had my mind, and I started compulsively drawing day and night. Um, I could not stop. Use markers, eventually added nail polish, because the out outdoor market near where I lived had the most glorious colors of nail polish, very, very cheap. So I was painting with a little teeny tiny brush out of a little teeny tiny bottle. Oh my goodness. And it was about and mermaids and women. And because I was so close to my food career, and thinking, what the hell am I doing? I should be writing another cookbook. I did a whole series of what I now call the Radiant Soup Brigade. <laughs> women with <laughs> women with vegetables. I drew several of the garlic goddess who just appeared. <laughs> she was holding garlic on her head, and she had an armful of onions. One of those paintings actually made it into the MTA in New York. It was in the uh, the elevator of one of the uptown stations for two years. Oh my, my garlic goodness. goddess got famous. Oh my goodness! And now, how? I mean, I know you must have thought about this all kinds of ways. You know, I'm a psychotherapist, and I just have to ask, what was happening? Do you have any other understanding about what is happening? when you're looking at your proofs and magically you have this, it, it, it's like you're drawing this thing that has life. It's a real, it's a real, uh, there's a, I don't know, it seems like it had, the mermaid had a life of its own. It did have a life of its own and everything I make now has that life. Everything has anima, it has soul. It's real. Um, and you know what was happening? Well, first of all, it was like a metaphorical bolt of lightning. It just was so unexpected. And it had such huge consequences, um, which last to this day. But I was also going through the menopause. That could have had something to do with it. Ah. Or I always maybe the muse bit me in the bum. Um, is there a muse? If there is, she certainly did something to me. Wow. It was so unexpected and suddenly it didn't matter do I any know anything about composing a painting do I know anything about drawing do I know anything about art it does not matter in the least because here I am doing this stuff it's alive mm. and it's real and it's Why a mer and a mermaid what does a mermaid mean to you anything can you anything come up that sort of I'm gonna, this go. interesting thing yeah. I'm interested in mythology of all sorts and the mermaid is the most fascinating creature because in every every uh, civilization that lives near any kind of water, a river, an ocean, a creek, a puddle, there is some kind of mermaid mythology. Um, it seems to be universal and it's very, very fascinating. And I've always been fascinated by mermaids. So if something was going to come to me in this strange state, it kind of makes sense that it was a mermaid. Also... Thinking about it in later years, a mermaid is a perfect symbol of a postmenopausal woman. No many problem, no more problems down there, as one might say. Ah, yes, she's you know it, it's and a mermaid also symbolizes freedom, as far as I can think. I mean, I, there was no thinking involved; it just right. happened. Oh my uh, goodness! I, I, 
I still draw mermaids every once in a while. I've gone on to many different things. From drawing, I went to painting. And then embellished painting, gluing found objects and things onto my paintings. That's you can see some of these. Yeah. I went. And then I started making sculptures out of detritus and broken jewelry and so on. They all represent the female landscape, as you mentioned earlier. It's all about women, and it's about goddesses, and it's about the power of women. Uh, and it's also about, you know, the problems of being a woman. And it just keeps me very busy. And it's made me kind of famous, which is very odd. Mm -hmm. I'm a curator, and I've curated some really big blockbuster um they're not so much exhibitions as kind of Disneyland for very peculiar adults. I like it to be interactive. I like people to come in and want to just move in. So I've done several big, big uh, exhibitions in odd places in London because I divide my time between London and New York. So yes, it's been an incredible adventure. I'm now 77, 78, something like that. Somewhere between my late 70s and eternity. And the adventure continues, and let's hope it never stops. Oh, my goodness. I, I mean, it just, it's so fascinating. It's so transformative. And I'm wondering, did your mom live to see you become a successful artist? No. My mother, my mother died before I even became a successful food writer. She died when I was in my very early 20s when I was still a school teacher, which was exactly what she wanted me to be. Mm -hmm. um, what she would think of me cooking and then drawing, I have no idea. She probably would be horrified, but I can't worry about that. Mm -hmm. Everyone's, well, I think I hear a spinning sound, and that's probably my mother turning over in her grave. <laughs> I can't worry about that right now. Right, <laughs> right. Has the recent notoriety, I mean, you've been on everything, you know, you, you know, the CNN uh, did a little uh, show on you, the New York Times, all the big, big ones, BBC. I'm wondering, is that become a distraction at all for um, oh, you following the news? It's so much fun. I can't tell you how much fun it is. I was a cover girl on the London Sunday Times style magazine. Selfridges, which is the huge, it's the equivalent of Macy's in London, gave me their biggest window on Oxford Street for two months, and filled, they just took the entire contents of my flat, which is full of my art, you know, big mm -hmm. things, small things, and they just gave me that. They essentially reproduced my house in on Oxford Street for two months. I was in a, a film, a blockbuster film called Fabulous Fashionistas. Mm -hmm. I was Ari Cohen. No, that was an Ari oh. film, this newborn's film. Okay. Um, you can Google that. I will. I have been in both of Ari's books. He's become a very close friend. So, uh, yes, as you say, I've been everywhere. And it's tremendous fun. As long as every day I can make something, I can draw something. I also now make my own clothes. Mm-hmm. Art garments. I dress myself in art every single day. And I make huge neck pieces. I call them neck shrines. So every day I wear an art kimono mm -hmm. and a big art piece around my neck. And I just want to be a walking exhibition. You, on the CNN thing, you can see a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. And I talk a little bit about that. So I become quite well known also as this very strange walking art piece. But where I spend most of my time in London 
I live in the East End. It's a very, very wildly creative area. And I'm part of a group who dress for art. And uh, it's, it's great. I, feel, I, don't, I don't feel like a weirdo. I feel like I'm part of a really <laughs> exciting group. So you maybe we're all weirdos. Well, we are. That's normal for us. And what about the U.K. versus New York? Where do you feel, I mean, is there a, a difference in terms of um, acceptance and appreciation for what you do? New York and London are really quite different, but in many ways they're the same. Um, here, every in New York, everybody wears black, all the fashionable ladies. The more fashionable they are, the more black they wear, and I'm told the reason they wear black is because they're just waiting for a darker color to come along. <laughs> I thought gray was the new black, but I guess not. No, black is always black. Black is the new black. Black is the old black. Black is black. Yeah. But um, I do have a few friends who dress in a very colorful way. I, what I love about now in my life is that people really do seem to appreciate it. And I can't walk two steps on the street without somebody asking to take my picture. And my favorite, because, you know, it's the, it's the era of Instagram. Mm -hmm. Somebody lurking behind me, and I turn around and... She'll get very close. She says, I follow you. I follow you. I said, yes, you are. You're following me right now. <laughs> oh, she follows me on Instagram. I have many, many thousands of followers on Instagram. And it is all about appreciation. And for me, it's all about bringing art and color out onto the street. There's too much chromophobia in the world. People are so afraid of color. And I would like to change that. We should not be afraid of color. Color is good for the mental health. Dressing like that is fantastically good for the whole world. I feel very strongly about that. So, no, it's not a, distra a distraction. It's a pure, constant pleasure. Sounds like a celebration. You tend to favor red. Am I right about that? I like red. I think I'm having a slightly blue period now. But uh, the truth is I love all bright colors. Red is probably my top favorite. But what really frightens me is beige. <laughs> I mean, I, I say always don't wear beige. It might kill you. Uh -huh. And I actually mean that literally. I have, you know, some people are afraid of spiders. Yeah. Some people are bites. I am deathly afraid of beige. And if I have to dress in beige, which of course I don't, or I'm in a beige room, you know, neutral, oh, God, it makes me old. It makes me ill. I never realize my age until beige enfolds me, mm. so I try to keep away from it. Sounds That sounds wise. Talk to <laughs> me a little bit about, you know, you, you were quoted, what the hell happens when the lights go out? How does, how does that question sort of uh, inform your, your life, your daily sort of your your daily approach to life what what does that mean to you okay that's a big question and i have quite a lot to say and i'll try not to take too much time but i'm a highly agnostic kind of atheistic per person and i would imagine that when you die that's when the, the lights go out and that's it you've had your time on earth so first of all make the most of every day and that doesn't that just doesn't mean parading around in color that means be a good person, do things for other people, make a difference in the world, make a difference in the world. But I have the most wonderful fantasy 
And all my work really is about this fantasy. This has nothing to do with what I really believe. This, I suppose, is what I wish would happen. And this fantasy is for women. I'm sure men have their own fantasies, but I really don't need to hear them at the moment. So what I imagine is this. You die. Everybody dies. Nobody gets up alive. And you wake up and you're sitting in a waiting room. And the waiting room is extremely colorful and decorated with sparkles and sequins and glitter. And you yourself are dressed in lightning bolts and color and gigs and sequins and sparkles. And you are magnificent. And you're waiting for the phone to ring. And everywhere I live, I have this installed in, in my house. I have the, I have the phone. I have all these dolls and mannequins I've rescued from the garbage that are all decorated with the things I mentioned. Mm-hmm. So the goddess phone is there, and the goddess phone is highly decorated, and it rings, and you pick up the phone, it says next, and you go in for your interview, because where were you waiting? You were waiting in the waiting room. And you go to be interviewed for the afterlife. You're either going to be a goddess or a superheroine, a shero. You get to be whichever you choose, and you have to show that you are worthy. And, of course, you say, look at me. I'm all dressed for the occasion. You have no idea how to be a shero or a super or a superheroine or a goddess, but you figure, I can learn on the job. <laughs> Everybody gets chosen to be one or the other. I personally am going to be a goddess. I'm halfway there already. And then you spend the rest of your life swanning around, looking amazing, and trying to make the world a better place. And that's my afterlife fantasy. Oh, my goodness. So so what is the definition of a goddess? How, how would one know that they, they were meeting a goddess? Well, first of all, there's about a difference between a goddess and a superheroine. This is all my, my own mythology, you realize. I understand, I understand. So, a superheroine, a shiro, has to work very, very hard. She's fighting evil, she's beating up the bad guys. A couple of bad guys right now I wish she would beat up. I'm sure you know what I mean. I do, indeed. Um, She's very physical. A goddess is much calmer. She doesn't have to work so hard. She sits on her throne. She issues wise advice. She looks amazing. Of course she looks amazing. Um, And that's pretty much what I do right now. (laughs) I dress myself up. I give advice. I inspire people. That's what I love. I always say I'm the kind of typhoid Mary of outsider art. You meet me and you catch the virus. You come and you see my art and suddenly mm-hmm. you never made anything in your life before. You're looking for found objects. You're looking for detritus and you're making stuff. Mm-hmm. That's is what I love. I love to inspire people. And as a goddess, that's what I do now and that's what I will do afterwards. Of course, what I really think is the lights just go out, bye-bye, that's the end. But in the meantime, I can be... This is a fantasy. Yeah, Yeah, and I can dream about being a goddess later. (laughs) Do you, you know, I'm curious about getting a fresh perspective. I found when I'm making things, sometimes I need to go away and you know, take a walk, take the dogs out, go whatever. I mean, it doesn't have to be anything special to come back and get a fresh look. Is that, it, is that something you also practice or that's not necessary for you? I think everybody does that. Um, I, 
think everyone does that. And what you do is you put it somewhere and then you kind of ignore it. And when you come back into the room, you kind of try to catch it out of the corner of your eye. Don't look at it. And think, wow, does that go kaboom? Or does that say something else with it? Add a little more. Very easy to overwork things, especially somebody like me who's far from a minimalist. Just keep adding things to it. Um, and there, there is that moment where it's probably done, maybe not, but yes, you come back to it a little later. Mm. But I, at the beginning, I was so obsessed, I couldn't, I had to finish it. I couldn't just start it and leave it, and uh, that sometimes that meant staying up all night. But now I just don't have the physical strength to do that, so if I'm working on a big piece, I have to do it over a period of days. Uh, lately, I've been making my next shrines. Mm -hmm. I'm with them, and the nice thing about those is I can finish them in one go, and then I can, that night I can wear it. Of course, I smell like glue, that is. <laughs> what's your favorite blown. glue, Sue? Give me the insider scoop. What's your, what's your go-to glue? I use E6000. Okay. And it's, it is slightly toxic, make sure your wind open. Yeah. Sometimes and have a fan blowing it away from me toward the window. Mm -hmm. But listen, I am an expert on glue, mm -hmm. and I love talking about glue, and that, to me, is the best glue. It is superb. It's so, uh, it, a week of that for a couple of days. It takes a couple of days for the odor to go away. Yeah. So, uh, yes, it's de E6000. <laughs> you dabble it all behind your ears? Well, I haven't gone that far yet, no. <laughs> so, you, you know, you are all about being out in the world with your art, celebrating your color, your creation. You're, you're just all about um, the display, the, you know, the inspiration. Now, um, I, I know this won't be a surprise to you, but there are some women who are self-conscious, and I work with some of them as clients, and it's, it's a hard sell to convince somebody to go out and just be who they are in whatever form that takes. There's there's anxiety. There's what will people think? What will they, you know, will they judge me? Do you have any advice for people who are stuck? Yes. I'm, I mean, I have quite a bit to say about that. First of all, there's no need to be flamboyant. Not everybody has to be like me. Some people like to be conservative and some people like to dress in neutral colors. I would warn about beige. I wouldn't want anyone to but if you want to wear black, and if you want to wear neutral colors, for heaven's sakes, I'm not going to make you change your ways. However, you might find that adding a little bit of color is life-enhancing, um, will make you feel better, will make you look better. You start with a scarf, start with a necklace, start with a pair of earrings, and once, or start with a pair of red shoes, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And once that, you may find yourself, you know, impelled into the color thing. And it's a wonderful way to live, and you inspire other people as well. But you don't have to do that. You know, there are women who are self-effacing. If they want to break out of that, start small and see what happens. But, um, no, and some people have to dress conservatively for their job. Mm -hmm. And that's, I'm not trying to make everybody into the kind of maniac I am. And when I walk out, it's not about, well, I hope it's not about being a narcissist. It is about, I want 
I want to bring art, art out onto the street. That's the first thing. I want people to look at me and say, color. And I do literally wear art because I often have some of my paintings reproduced onto the back of my kimonos, um, which is great. I love it. And then I love it when people want to talk about it. So I would say be brave, be bold, try it. Mm-hmm. And you might very nice reaction. Yeah, people worry, what is somebody going to say? What? Oh, I couldn't care less about that anymore. The older you get, the less you care about that. I think but, that's certainly true. Do you think art is helping you get through some of the social challenges that we're facing? Not to put too fine a point on it, but is that helping? You talked about it as your therapy. Is that something you can immerse yourself in and sort of counteract some of uh, what's going on in the world? Well, yes. What's going on in the world is frightening, disgusting, scary. Um, And when we live in our bubble of color and friendship and joy, it does bring joy. Um, And it does protect us to a certain extent. So that doesn't mean the troubles of the world go away, but it means we can cope with it in a much better way. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it makes it makes a huge difference. It makes mm-hmm. a very difference. Yeah. And when you bring other people in with you, it's 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 fantastic, absolutely fantastic. I have young people who come, and when they come to visit me, they disappear for a while, and then they come downstairs wearing, you know, three of my necklaces and some of my bangles their elbows and my kimonos and they think, oh my God, and they're they're changed forever. And uh, we do, in London, we do a color walk once a week. And all of us, and every week we have more people come along, we we dress. For many of us, it's the way we dress every day. Other people try it on to see how it goes. And uh, we have a local market, Spitalfields Market, Flea Market, Art Market, and we talk, we drink coffee, we walk around a little bit, and it brings so much color to the neighborhood. It inspires so many people, and it keeps us going. It, oh, it makes us beautiful, keeps me young. Beautiful image. Do you have vendors who will say, Sue, look what I have today. I knew you would love this. Yes, I've been going to the same flea market for since the day it opened, which is about 15 years ago. And uh, I use a lot of stuff from the flea market in my art because we're always looking for detritus and discarded things. And they know exactly what I need. So it's, it's great. It's absolutely great, yeah. And I've just started something at Old Spitalfields Market in London. I, I've been the face of something called the Silk Series. And three days a week we have artisans, artists, and craftspeople showing their wares we don't want any T-shirts from China. We want real art and um, artisan work. And we're offering the stalls free. They can oh, set up. Oh, nice. So that they can get started. So they can get started. And uh, it's a very happy atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. Are there, what, and who are your heroines? Oh, goodness, I have many. Uh, do you know who Nikki DeSanfile is? Of course you do, who did the Nanez. I don't among know. Other I don't Nanez know. She, okay, I have to look her up. My goodness, it'll change your life. Absolutely change your life. I'm surprised when you were 
going to the museums when you were young, you didn't see them at MoMA or things I'm like that. I'm sure I did, but I was only in elementary school, and I was more interested in the slope of the Guggenheim rolling yeah. down. And <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that was amazing. I know it's like a roller skating rink or a parking lot or something amazing. But MoMA had those, and uh, they're all over the world. Uh, she is a great... It actually, a couple of years ago, in the median on Park Avenue in New York, there were a whole lot of her nanas, and I didn't know it. I was in a cab. Nobody told me. I turned around the corner. I was on Park Avenue. Nanas, as far as the eye could see, they're huge. They're bigger than life. They're so joyous. I mean, it, I saw my first nanas when I was quite young. It had a big impression on me. So I immediately, I said, nobody told me. Got out of the I was frolicking right along with the Nanas. One of the ladies who was also looking took my camera and took some pictures of me. That was a great moment. So she, and of course, this is a cliche, but Frida Kahlo, where would we be without her? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, I could see how you would love her. I mean, that's become quite a cliche, but there's a reason for it. I mean, mm-hmm. she was amazing, and her work, long before anybody knew what the hell she was doing, mm-hmm. she really brought the feminine landscape in all its darkness and its joy right right out there on her canvas. And, and, she, when had, she, and she had darkness. And that, you know, Mrs. Yeah. Diego, it was Diego was the guy. It was all Diego, Diego, Diego. Nowadays we say, Diego who? <laughs> I wish she had lived to realize what an impact she has had on the world. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know who Marisol is, Marisol Escobar. Uh, Puerto Rican, American. Hmm, I don't. Looks with wood. Okay. Uh, look these people up. I'm they're going very, 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 uh, they're extraordinary, and their work is extraordinary. And they were working at a time when it was very, very difficult for female artists. Very, very difficult. And they did what they did. They did what they wanted to do. Um, and to this day, I am very, very inspired by them. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I can hear the passion in your voice as you talk about this. Yeah, I think you'll be impressed when you look them up. And then, of course, there are people like Marian Anderson and Eleanor Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. Um, Marian Anderson, uh, goodness me. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I could sit here all day telling you Mm -hmm. about these heroes, these wonderful heroes, but they're there to inspire us and to move us on to better things. Mm Mm-hmm. Amen. Any last any last thoughts, Sue, before we... I do have listeners in London, so uh, perhaps there'll be some uh, crossover here. Uh, any last words before we say goodbye today? Well, if you are in London, check out Old Spitalfields Market on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. That's the big day for the artisan market on the commercial street side. And check it out on Thursday for the best flea market in London, really the best flea market in London. But I am going to leave you with my big message. I can't say it often enough. Don't wear beige. It might kill you. <laughs> I will take that into consideration as I uh, choose my, uh, my work clothes today. <laughs> I had boysenberry pants on yesterday, so... There's no, okay, fear, no fear of that. 
I so appreciate you sharing your message of color and joy and inspiration and, you know, mermaids being alive. Uh, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you today, Sue. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening, really, because I, I do go on. <laughs> so you've been very kind. Thank oh, you. Thank you so much for joining me today on Zestful Aging. Please subscribe, comment, rate me on iTunes, like, share. Those actions are actually really important to help other people find the show. I love to hear from my listeners, so send me an email at NicoleChristina.com and tell me what you'd like to hear more about what you'd like to hear less about, and even if you have a guest in mind that you think would be really interesting and inspiring, please let me know. Do you want more zest? Head over to NicoleChristina.com forward slash zestful aging, no spaces, where you can find my companion online course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.